0: Episode 46 of the Mountain Bike Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co host, Stephen Lewis. Hola. How's it going? Grand. Awesome. Very cool. You did some gravel riding this weekend? I did. Good times. I did gravel riding and mud riding. And
1: uh, I have to say, uh, waxing your chain doesn't work when you're riding. (laughs) Through a bath of mud, I wanted to get into that. So you wax your chain, which is cool. Yeah, we tried that. Nate, um, CEO of Trainer Road, which he, we're in Trainer Road's we offices. We, we should, are. Thank you, Trainer Road, for letting us use the podcast room. Absolutely. Um, he got all the supplies and all the molten speed wax and the the powder additive and everything to uh, basically do proper chain waxing and ultrasonic cleaner and crock pot and everything. So, um, I'm sure people are like, what? Yeah. It's a a rowdy thing. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, you know, and I asked him, I was like, Hey, do you mind if I do mine? Because I'm kind of sick of chain lubes that aren't lasting longer than 25, 30 miles on the gravel bike. Yeah. You know, 25, 30 miles is fine on a mountain bike, but If you're riding a 60, 80, 100 mile gravel grinder and you have to stop and lube your chain three times. That's annoying. It's kind of annoying. Yeah. So I just decided to give it a try.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It was deadly silent for a solid 15 miles and then it. I think what I described it as was a an 82-year-old man snoring away with a chainsaw sitting wide open throttle right next to him. Oh, my god, It was gosh. great. So why, why'd that happen? Do you know? Um, I think that, you know, the wax basically held everything out as long as it could. And as soon as the dirt and mud really started getting into the pins and it just broke down that wax and instantly just started making noise. Dude,
0: that's crazy. Like, yeah. so I... Because that's one of the perks supposed to be of wax is that it's more durable and doesn't attract anything, which that wasn't attracting. It was just getting packed in, I assume, because yeah. yeah. the gunk you're riding in. But it's supposed to be particularly durable in those scenarios. So, yeah. And we, I think as much mud that was on there, yeah. I think it held
1: up really well. I don't yeah. think that there would be a, a, a hand-applied chain lube yeah. that would have held up
0: better. Interesting. Yeah. So we're, however, was your shifting bad? No, shifting was perfect even when the chain was dry. So the shifting on, so Nate did his chain too. And uh, sorry guys, but I, I promise there's a takeaway here. Yeah. Our CEO at Trainor Road he did his chain, his road chain. Mm-hmm. And his shifting was all whack because his chain wasn't something, something he didn't do something right. So he talked to Molten Speedwax and they're going to, they think that there's actually something wrong with that batch possibly that he got. Interesting. So maybe- that's the case, and it's not like because they're they're rated for like I think that stuff is rated for three hundred and fifty miles. yeah, they say four to eight hundred in a perfect dry
1: condition, yeah, yeah, on a road bike. yeah. So like I said if I can get eighty to hundred out of it on a
0: gravel bike, I'd be ecstatic. Yeah, yeah. it's a little bit of work though, eh? yeah, wax the chain. <laughs> yeah, it took about an hour and a half and
1: <laughs> a little yeah. tougher
0: than just you know dripping on some lube. so exactly. That's why I like the Demonitech light stuff, man. It's so good. It's
1: it's, I've tried it. I've tried their Demontech D I've tried the, I've tried them all and I've actually got a new round of stuff coming. And I think there is one demand that I haven't tried. Um, I'm going to do some more testing.
0: The yellowy, the yellow stuff is what I use. The stuff that smells, it smells like dead brain cells basically because that's (laughs) what happens as soon as you open the cap. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but it is, I've had so much good luck with that thing sticking on. It's like, for example, um, Lost and Found last year mm-hmm. was a dusty tornado. Yeah. It was insane, yep. and my bike with that stuff was clear all the way through. And everybody else sounded like they were like pioneers riding like old wagons yeah. through things. So the wooden spokes were <laughs> exactly <laughs> um, another one too. Single track six, yeah, a dusty absolute mess, yeah. Um, and those were like you know thirty mile to you know forty mile days, so not too long, and they were like three hours ish. Okay. Right. Yeah. I went three days without, without lubing my chain. Interesting. And it was a total oversight. It was not intentional. <laughs> I would have cleaned my chain and done all that stuff if I wasn't like deer in the headlights after every stage blown. So, yeah. um, it's really good stuff, man. Okay. I know that I, or at least it's been said that it doesn't, or that it is, that it does, I guess, cause a lot of friction. So that's not good, but anyhow, uh, we should get into yeah. I let's guess, talk the about show.
1: <clears throat> mountain bike things, mm-hmm. even though that is technically mountain bike things.
0: True. Yes. Uh, this is the mountain bike podcast, MTB podcast. You can find it all over social things, the internets. You can go onto our store and get products, and then we take the any money that's earned by that, we take that and put it right back into the podcast. So, for example, next week, Yay. we're going to Sedona, Arizona, mm-hmm. and uh, that's and the reason that we're going to Sedona, Arizona, is to go to the mountain bike festival to test as many bikes as we can, upon your request. We've gotten a lot of requests on bikes yeah so far ones that i'm seeing pretty re- pretty regularly is the mojo hd3 you mean the hd4 sure that one yeah yep. um <clears throat> so a mojo uh also people want us to test the top fuel because of uh because we said that we had heard from people that we trust that they didn't love that bike as much as they loved other bikes in the trek lineup you mean a fuel ex fuel huh? ex yes. forgive me yeah, yeah. yes yes fuel ex not top fuel Which top fuel will. is the one that they really like yeah Um, so, uh, we'll try to test that one. We'll try to test as many of the, uh, another one too, that, that I've seen is a Jeffsy. Um, and then, uh, the new Canyon spectral people want us to try plenty Mm -hmm. of different things. And the Mondrakers,
1: they, uh, Mondraker, I've gotten a few people on my personal Instagram (laughs) asking me.
0: So remember the key with this is if the brands are there. Yes. Uh, we can test those bikes. We have to be like super fast. We so do. Steven and I are going to be like zipping all around. So yeah. um, it's going to be tons of fun. Uh, we'll have some good content out from that, at least live from it uh, on Instagram. So you can find us there, but then we'll also, we're going to be putting these together and doing like mini reviews. Well, it's They're going to be in depth, but it's not going to be like a massive episode, like an hour long on each bike. Yeah. It's going to be something that you can just listen to and you can get all the insights. And we're going to try to give you real world um, applicable, I guess, experience that, that you can understand yeah. on the bikes. So, uh, so yes, that's what we get. If you get anything on that store, we put it right back into creating more content for you guys. Uh, it doesn't go to our our own pockets. So, By the way, I finally got one of the stem caps uh, hey. for the Super X. Nice. Because
1: the Cannondales have the silly, you know, yep. The special compression plug thing in the carbon steer,
0: special snowflakes. Those Cannondale. Oh, gosh, I'll tell you. But they do make some good things, man. That's
1: for but hey, sure. funny thing. If you have the inch and a half system integration steering okay. tube,
0: by the way, yeah,
1: throwing it out there. All you need is the special cap for the Cannondale. You don't actually need the entire base assembly either. Oh, really? You just need the plastic cap that says MTB podcast or the hashtag. And like it clicks on as it. And is. it clicks right into the Cannondale steerer. Interesting. Because that's how their steerer for this, the steerer cap is for the system integration setup is it's just mm. the plastic cap identical
0: to stem caps. Clever. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, there's that. Huh. So for all you left, now owners, you know, <clears throat> um, we also have uh, stickers. I haven't put them up on the website yet, but I brought my camera and I brought the stickers today. So then you can have a couple of them stickers and we can take a picture it would be white, and we could put it on your car on the back window. Then we can take it off, too, if you want, because we're very strict about the branding on your vehicle. Yeah. So, no branding. No branding, yes. Other than TRD Pro. Yes, yeah. that's it. Um, anyways, uh, you can go on there, check out those things. Yes. This is just going to be a questions episode. It Steven. is. We've got a ton of questions. Yes, there's a ton of news and all that stuff, too. We're going to cover that later in the week. Yeah, we but will, though. Right now, questions. Question time. Question. That's a ridiculous question. False. That's debatable. <laughs> First one is from John. He says, I'm curious what you guys think of Invisiframe or if there's something cheaper or easier to install. Uh, Let's cover that one first. He has a couple other questions, but let's cover that one. No, there isn't. (laughs) Invisiframe is,
1: in my opinion, if they make a kit for your bike, get it. Oh yeah. It's the easiest way to do it. Because they use quality uh, clear vinyl. mm -hmm. Um, It's UV stable. It's not going to yellow and crack. It's not going to fall apart. It's amazing stuff. It's actually from Expel, which is- Super good the brand of clear bra that I use to wrap all my frames, but I like a hundred percent coverage as much as I can on my frames. So okay. I buy this stuff in bulk, which would be cheaper mm-hmm. And then I actually cut it, you but know, it's a myself, lot more but it's paint. a lot more work. It takes me three, three and a half hours to do an entire frame.
0: And that's just the cutting and applying that's doesn't, you well, know, yeah, it, the prep and everything else I assume yeah, on the frame. Exactly. That's applying it. And you actually
1: cut it once you're, once it's on the bike, you yep. don't actually cut this stuff with scissors. You have to cut it with those, the black carbide tipped, uh, break off razor blades.
0: And you have to be very, very, very skilled careful. Yes. and careful because you can't cut your frame if you cut the paint like that, then it could cause chipping and could yep. cause plenty of things. So yeah. it's like mm-hmm. a very delicate operation. Yeah. So the fact that this stuff is already designed, just get the InvisiFrame and be done with it. Oh, yeah. They make a super good product. Uh, they also come with instructions, um, mm-hmm. at least the last time I purchased InvisiFrame. Uh, they come with instructions, and I clean off the the frame itself. Mm-hmm. I clean it off with denatured alcohol, mm-hmm. some some low some low concentration. And I get the frame pr- very clean, like sparkly clean, zero oil on that thing. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you get a high atomizing spray bottle, mm-hmm. which just means that it sprays a fine mist, yeah. right? Not one that sprays like a jet or anything else like that. Yeah. You only sprays a mist and you want, when you put that sticker on, you want your frame to be thoroughly soaked. Yeah. And then you also squirt the backside of the sticker mm-hmm. and then you squirt your fingertips as well. Yeah. And you try your best not to touch the backside of that clear, even though you have wetness on there and everything else. And I would recommend too, after each one wiping off your fingers with alcohol again, and then spraying them with water again.
1: Now, what are they in the water bottle? Do they recommend using like Johnson's, um, baby shampoo,
0: like a couple drops of that in with the water? So I. Can't remember if they recommend that. I know that's a strategy that a lot of people use, mm-hmm. um, and the reason for that is because it can cause more bubbles and it can actually delay the adhesion a bit. So then yes. you can really get it into the perfect spot you exactly. want. Yeah, um, I've never I, I i don't use the the baby shampoo Mm -hmm. method, but there might be a situation, for example, where you have like a really tricky spot where it could be really helpful because it could stop you from getting bubbles otherwise. But if I just make sure that it's every, the water is beaded up really well on the frame and then the stickers wet then, and if I'm just make sure that I just put it close to the right spot, then I can get it in the, in the right spot. The, The only downside to the bubbles, I guess, is if you have and, and this usually doesn't happen with InvisiFrame because they're well-made templates, but you may have something that's like kind of a strange fit. Mm-hmm. And you might have to stretch the vinyl a bit. Yeah, You're not gonna get any stretch out of the thing or less stretch out of the thing if it's got more bubbles underneath there for a while. Yeah. So you'll have to like spend some time, like quite a lot of time with that thing, squeegeeing it out, squeegeeing it out, continuing to do that for quite a while until all that starts to to dry out underneath. Well, here's the pro tip for that. I'm glad that you mentioned that because Uh this is what I was going to say.
1: Take about an ounce of either 70 or 91% isopropyl alcohol Mm -hmm. and then dilute it, the rest in a water bottle with water. Okay. That actually speeds up the adhesion process. Cool. So if you're using the baby soap method or just regular water Uh and you need to get some stretch out of it and you need it to hold tight, what you do is you pull back the section that you need to stretch and then you spray the the alcohol water mix in and relay it down and that'll actually quicken it up and help it grip better. Is that because it
0: speeds up evaporation? Exactly. Interesting. That's cool. That's a good tactic. So yeah. Uh, So yeah, and you squeegee it on. That's the best way to do it. So once again, spray bottle, like we talked about, Spray uh, clean frame, spray on the frame, spray on the sticker clean fingers spray on the fingers and then apply it in the proper position then after that you squeegee it on and you squeegee those bubbles out yep. as much as you possibly can yeah. and that's the way to put this stuff on without having any any bubbles in there Exactly um the, the other another option I've seen people use all mountain style and while those seem to be effective, and basically what they do is they just use a different type. there are plenty of different types of clear vinyl. and they use a clear vinyl that's actually textured on top and a little bit harder. it's It's more of a molded piece, not yeah. and it's still very much vinyl. Mm-hmm. um, but it's it's got um, it's it's a harder vinyl that it has. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to protect your frame better. That's just like something I want people to understand is that just because it's harder vinyl doesn't mean that it's going to protect your frame better necessarily. It's thicker, so it's going to dampen. It's actually going to – like if your
1: bars spin around and your brake lever hits your top tube, the all-mountain style might offer a little bit more protection
0: in that case. Yep. Yep. But yeah, there are certain spots or like underside of down tube that could be good to have that sort of a thing if you want to do extra. Um, And you could always, for example, once you put the clear on the frame, you could always do all mountain style on top of the clear. Yes, it'll, it'll adhere just the same. Yeah. So uh, you could do something like that and double up in those spots. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I, I highly recommend InvisiFrame. Yeah. Can I, can I be a
1: total nerd for a second and share something with you? Yeah. So my super X and my Jekyll always look completely perfect and clean and just beautiful on top of the, uh, the, uh, expel Mm -hmm. vinyl, Mm -hmm. I may have put ceramic pro.
0: There we go. Ceramic coating on it from a car.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's why. So literally just everything sheds right off of it. Nothing that's stays. smart. Yeah. Uh,
0: that's smart. So I think yeah. I want to do that too. Good stuff. My stuff. Yeah. Good call. Okay. Uh, his next question. He says, one more question. Curious to hear an explanation about flat versus riser bars. I've always wanted to use a flat bar, uh, but, or I've always used a flat bar, but would, for example, a 10 millimeter riser make more sense? That. We have not enough information to answer that question. Yeah. So, um, but a principle based approach to this yes. question. Uh, so, flat bars, flat bars are, are, I guess, they're in vogue on the XT side of things mm-hmm. and dudes that want really low stack. This is a way to lower your stack, your effective stack. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about your actual stack of your frame, but the effective stack of, yes. of where your hands are. Uh, but the thing to remember with that is the fact that, um, I feel like your your goal should be don't get caught up on the bar as much as your hands should be in a specific place. Yes. If that means that your stem goes up and your bar stays flat or your stem stays flat and your bars go up or flat, flat or whatever else, up, up, mm-hmm. whatever it is, that should be your goal. Your goal shouldn't be I want to run a flat bar or I want to want to r- run a riser bar. Your yes. goal should be I want to get my hands into the right place. Mm-hmm. Does that cover that one? Uh, That does. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like kind of the best approach uh, for people to take. So, and I know that there are a lot of people that say like, for example, well, if you have a higher rise in your bar, you might get more, um, or if you have a, for example, you could run, uh, 20 millimeters of spacers underneath your stem, or you could run no spacers underneath your stem and a 20 millimeter rise in either your stem or your bar. And you could accomplish this, this same position in different ways, but people usually would like to use less spacers on a stem because of the fact that it could put more torque on a steering stem. Of course. Now, it, mechanically speaking, I think that that's sound. Mm-hmm. But the only thing to remember is I, I don't see many people like snapping a steer tube these no. days. Especially with Freed 20 on Maybe if you're trying to put 80 or 100 <laughs> exactly. spacers. It's pretty rare. Yeah. So even though principally speaking, yes, I get that, but mm-hmm. it's – you know, in all reality, it's probably not a big, yeah. Game, so. no. uh, Ryan's question. He says, is there any good option to share a power meter between a road or amount and a mountain bike? I'd like to get power data out of my XC races and also do the occasional road ride, but really don't want to double what it's going to cost to do so. I thought that going with a crank arm setup would work easily enough, but it sounds like that may result in a Q-factor mismatch. Appreciate the help.
1: Yeah, it may result it may, in a yeah, Q. Uh, may at, not. At the end of the day, if if uh, what's more important to you, the occasional road ride or the XC races that you're trying to pull data from? I'd put mm-hmm. one on your mountain bike and not worry about it.
0: Yeah, same here. So the, there really isn't a clean solution. I have to be very careful about what I say. Because I think I know about things, but they, they might actually not be happening, you yeah. know, because companies talk and they yes. like say that they have things in the works, but yeah. you never know when
1: yeah. that's actually going to happen.
0: And this is, I,
1: I don't know what you're getting at, but for me, you know, I would love Garmin to release a mountain-based power pedal because there, then you can put it on every mountain bike, road bike, how, you know, no, cross you're, bike, whatever.
0: You're saying that because they already have a pedal-based one with their Vectors, exactly, right? Exactly. Because
1: yeah. they have the Vector 3 road pedal. Yeah. If they could do a vector mountain. Yeah. I would have that on my cyclocross bike, my Enduro bike, and my XC bike in one set of pedals.
0: Yeah. That 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 would be, I feel like, ideal, right? Yeah. Um there have been a number of different companies that said they're working on something that could be interchangeable, but I never hear much thereafter. Yeah. So it's it's um like, I, like you said, I think that that's probably the most logical solution is to do mm. something in the pedal. Yeah. And then you would just like either use those pedals from bike to bike. Yeah. Or you'd switch them over. And right now the only power meter based pedals are road ones. Yeah. So the mountain bike ones they don't have. So yeah. I could see that happening, but yeah. no, there is no elegant solution right now. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a Q factor mismatch though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For example, I mean, in most cases, you're going to have like I'm thinking of a Stages power meter. For example, Mm -hmm. let's say that you have SRAM carbon cranks, or uh, you know, or GXP cranks on your road bike, and you have GXP cranks on your mountain bike. Yeah, and um, all you have to do is get the Stages carbon. GXP power meter yeah, and then you'll just need to make sure that you, and, and if you just actually, if you just put that thing on, you should be good. Um, with like for their carbon ones, for example, because they don't have a varying profile that yeah, like, because they, they use the YQ factor. Yeah.
1: And honestly, at the end of the day, if you, you throw it, it on there. your road bike, you're not going to notice that changing Q no. factor.
0: Yeah, especially if you're just
1: randomly riding it, you know, once in a while.
0: Yeah, but you shouldn't even have a change in Q-Factor if you're running SRAM GXP carbon cranks. Well, no, because you have your
1: 156 Q-Factor and your 168 Q-Factor. They do make two different Q-Factors, especially on the roadside. Mm, But it's... On the cranks, on the, the, the power meter... Arm is going to be
0: the same no matter what. They don't have two. crank arms themselves aren't different shaped. It's just the spindle width is actually going to be the difference there. With oh, those okay, yeah, yeah. So sorry. you're not going you're to have right. a different. Yes, factor. you're right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Where some brands adjust Q factor or address Q factor in the shape of the crank arms. Yeah. Other brands address Q factor in the length of the, I should say, the width of the spindle. Yeah.
1: Which is how Cannondale
0: does it with their Hologram SI and SISL twos. Okay. Yeah, and it's, it's all in the spindle. So like you could. It, that's another good example. Like if you had Hologram that would work on road or mountain. I they school. always do. They So they then were, yeah. you could get the stages hologram one yeah. and you would have no issues there. Yeah. That said, you're still moving a crank arm over each time, which yeah. would be kind of a pain. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's not the end of the world. Certainly there would be tougher
1: things to yeah. switch over. Especially the SRAM or even like the race face. Would they swap over super easy? It takes like 30 seconds yeah. to pull a crank arm.
0: Well, the race face one would be tricky the power meter wise. Because you have a different spindle. spindle. Yeah. So then you're talking about pushing a spindle in and out. And, yeah, never mind. Mine. yeah yeah um, so I think a stages is probably your best bet mm-hmm. or just get it. one for the mountain
1: bike at the end of the day yes and yeah. then don't worry about it on the road
0: yeah if you have to pick and choose I yeah. completely agree yeah I think that's better uh, next one is from Rob he says hi great job on the podcast five stars all the way thanks Rob appreciate it man he says I'm looking to run a wider front tire I have a 275 stands arch mark 3 rim which has a 26 millimeter internal width I have a set of those in my office right now you do all 29s though yeah. not 275 but yeah fancy Uh, It says these rims are optimized for 2.25 to 2.5 tires, but I know a lot of the wider tires are recommended for 30 to 35 millimeter internal width rims. Is there anything wider out there in 2.4 or 2.5 perhaps that would be compatible with my rim and keep a good tire profile? I currently run a 2.3 Maxxis Minion DHF. Yes, the 2.5. The (laughs) 2.5 Maxxis
1: Minion DHF, but do not run the wide trail version. Okay. Your rims aren't wide enough for the wide trail, so just put the standard 2.5 on it.
0: Good to know. Okay. Yeah. So there are most tires now, it seems like, uh, for this type of like trail or aggressive trail, like toward enduro style, yeah, almost all of them seem to have a 2.5 variant now yep. or yep. something right around there. Yeah. Um, so you can run that. The one thing to keep in mind is that if you have a 2.5 or a lot of bikes can clear 2.5 up front, pretty much all of them. got to be careful the with back. the boost fork, but the back you have to be careful. Yeah. So, yep, yeah, that's yeah. for sure. So, I mean, that's the, the tire that I run on my
1: Jekyll, but I run the wide trail version because I have the WTB I-29s. Ooh, nice. Yeah.
0: Fancy. Uh, Alex says, uh, great podcast, guys. Quick tech question. When installing semi-integrated headset cups, should I use assembly lube or not? I'm getting conflicted thoughts on this. No.
1: Ooh, okay. I use, no, I never use, no, I don't use assembly lube at all. No.
0: When you um, say at all, you're talking about on the integrated headset yeah, cups. Yeah, on any sort
1: of any sort of semi integrated or integrated or any headset cups that are pressed in, same with bottom bracket cups. Okay. I always use go to Home Depot or Lowe's. It's a brand called Rector Seal. Okay. And it is a PTFE infused pipe dope. Okay. That is the only way that I'm advising
0: people to purchase drugs. Yes. Okay. <laughs>
1: <Gotcha>. yeah, plumber's <laughs> drugs. Um, <laughs> it's basically for your your uh, or cast iron uh, uh, pipes like gas pipes okay it's actually the sealant for that okay and it has it's Teflon infused and so it creates a nice lubrication to stop any sort of vibration okay and so this is the there's been problem bottom brackets that I've had mm-hmm. this is the only way to stop them from making any noise okay when it's nice and soft when you first go to install it yeah it works as a lubricant Okay. To basically slide everything in nice and smooth, and then it creates a thin little film. And you use this stuff very sparingly. Okay, I've done it on every bottom bracket on every bike I've ever had, and every headset I've ever had, and I've never had anything creak. Interesting. So you can get it from Home Depot. It's a little, it's like a little dipper. Um, the lid has like a little brush on it, mm-hmm. and it's this really thick, baby blue. Kind of, uh, yeah. almost looks like marshmallow cream. Yeah, like it's, yeah, it does. And that stuff just put a very thin film around in, in the frame, and especially on a carbon frame, this yeah. is really good stuff because you don't want to put any sort of assembly lube on an aluminum to carbon Interfix. interface. Yeah. Oh, okay. why? You don't want to. You don't want to mess with the resins. It, okay, some assembly gotcha. lubes have caustic material in them that will not be good for
0: resins. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. That's a good, that's a good tip. Yeah. He says, PS, I think us Brits have been calling stoppies endos for the last 25 years. Well, you guys have also been driving on the wrong side of the car for (laughs) how long? (laughs) No, that's the right side of the car actually. (laughs) Um, yeah, actually factually it is the right Mm -hmm. side. Uh, but I, yeah, I know that you guys have been calling them endos. So that's okay. That's, <laughs> we can't yeah. all be right all the time. <laughs> Tyler says, first off, five stars all day. I gravitated to, I gravitated to other podcasts and waiting for new MTV podcast to air, but none compared. Awesome, man. Well, thank you. Well, I mean, not, not awesome that you didn't find what you were looking for and that uh, we kept you waiting, but, you know, thanks for the compliment. So he says a few weeks back, you spoke about... How you got your spouses into mountain biking, and I'm trying to do the same. I thought about building her up a fun beginner hardtail, but had the same thoughts about her feeling obligated to ride. We ended up hitting an Ibis demo day at Stubb Stewart State Park. That's a that's a hard one, Stubb mm-hmm. Stewart State Park, yeah. um, outside of Portland, Oregon, and uh, got her set up with the Carbon Mojo 3. Needless to say, she loved the Ferrari Red and Eagle drivetrain and said she would do it again. My question is... What is the best way to find out about demo days in my area? I frequent my local bike shop shout out to fat tire farm, but I wouldn't be opposed to drive to to a driving to Seattle as well. I frequent bike companies, websites, but let's be honest. What a time suck. (laughs) Is there a better source all the best and keep the rubber side down Tyler. Honestly, Tyler, what I would do
1: is I would follow every local bike shop in your area. And even in the greater Seattle area, even down to like Issaquah and, you know, anything down there. And I would just, follow their Facebook pages and Mm -hmm. make sure that you have them set up to notify you when they post things because that's where you're going to see a lot of your announcements for demo days. And same with your local trail stewardships.
0: You know, they'll also repost stuff like that. I would... um I would take a proactive approach and I would be the one reaching out to brands or bike shops, asking what you can do to help a demo day happen. Good idea. If you want one to happen, because I think that a demo day, as good as it is, it's a lot of work for all people involved. Mm -hmm. So if they know that they have a helping hand or somebody that's motivated behind that, then that's a really good thing. Yeah. Uh, The real reason I wanted to share this one though, is because I think that this is whether you want to just roll in some side cash on ad money or anything else, this right here. Is a website idea. I think that this is a business idea potentially. Yeah. If somebody could make an aggregator that basically, based off of your location, can show you which bike demos are coming up. That's not um, a bad idea. Yeah, and that would require some some footwork. Uh, and I don't know. Maybe this is something we put up on MTB podcast. That'd be kind of cool. But um, but yeah. Anywho, I just think that this is something that, that should happen. So absolutely, uh, it would make it a whole lot easier. Then you could like plan a vacation around demos. That'd be kind of cool.
1: All right, I like it. That'd be cool. Yeah, and remember, at the end of the day, don't build your wife the bike. Let her ask you. Yeah, true story. She says she wants you to build her a bike. True story. That's when you build
0: her a bike. Mm -hmm. Pascal says, uh, "Pascal, he sends in uh, he sends in questions pretty regularly. Good dude. Uh, I like his pressures. (laughs) You had to drop the (laughs) nerd joke. I did. He says, not a question for for uh, a change, but more of a recommendation." He says, I've been using Fox forks for the last couple of years and really loved that initial plushness a recent bike acquisition came with a new Pike and I really like the chassis. However, it felt a bit harsh in comparison, which we've talked about that. Mm-hmm. The rock shocks feeling, it feels a little bit more. I, so I call it supportive off the top, but I can totally see how, if you're coming from a Fox fork over to this, you would call it harsh off yeah. the top. It's very the, helicopter mommy. Yeah. Just too much. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, he says, uh, however, it felt a bit harsh in comparison. I upgraded the Pike with the Vorsprung Luftkappe, and mm-hmm. it feels f- and it now feels nice and buttery initially, taking care of a lot of the chatter and improving traction. It also retains the RockShox feel later in the travel, which I like. At less than 90 bucks, it's a relatively cheap upgrade as well. It really is, and it's something that I don't know why we haven't talked about it yeah, a there, lot. there are a lot of different things that you can get. Di- like, you can get the MRP has an insert. There are yep. plenty of different... Brands that have like little inserts that you can put in that yeah. claim to do this or allow for adjustability, that sort of a thing. Yeah, um, it's something that I'm looking forward to trying out. Yeah, but I don't know if I'm going to spec my bike with a Pike. Yeah, my five five. So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we'll see what I end up doing with that. I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I don't know if I'm going to spec it with a Pike, just because the Pike runs still pretty darn expensive compared to the 34 or the 36. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, I, I just don't know if it's necessarily worth it. So, yeah, I hear you. You know, uh, I like that Rock Shocks feel on the XC stuff. Totally. On, on the Enduro stuff, eh, I don't know. I might like the Fox a little better. Okay. Kind of grinning. No. Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, that, but that little thing, uh, knows what they're doing. We've talked about their suspension series. They were doing on pink bike there for a while, really good knowledge. You can look that up. Um, anyways, they know what they're doing, so I'm sure their products are solid. Hopefully we'll get to try one out sometime soon. Robert says I have a big Pisgah trip in may, and I'd like to get an indoor trainer to build endurance and fitness. I lift heavy four to five times a week already, but I just lack endurance. Nice. This dude's in the gym. Yeah. Yeah getting lifting the heavy things against the forces of gravity. Yes. Picking things up and putting them down. He says, I know you recommend trainer road, but what trainer would you recommend in my situation? I don't have space for another bike in the garage, but I do have space for a trainer that I can set up with my current bike. My current bike is a, is a Turk Yeti SB six XO one 12 speed Eagle with boost axles. Nice bike, man. That's no, a fancy. Yeah. He says, I've been looking around at many of the wheel off trainers like Wahoo elite tax don't support 148 or 12 speed cassettes. I shall correct you on this. Uh, the Wahoo uh, Kicker does support 148 natively. You don't need to have an adapter. But not 12 speed. Uh, <laughs> no, but we'll get to that in a bit. We will. Cyclops with their hammer, that one also, You yeah, that does boost mm-hmm. just fine with your through axles. Yeah. Um, I believe that you can get a kit for the Tax Neo. However disclaimer on that. It tends to be back ordered all the time, that kit that you need. Yeah. Uh, and it's like an adapter kit basically to be able to use, to do boost through axles there, or perhaps it's its own, uh, like a long skewer. I can't remember exactly which. Okay. Um, but the tax Neo does something like that. And then elite, I can't remember if the DRIVO, their high end one does that. Um, so that's what that is. He says I would, and then actually let's get to 12 speed. Yes. So, uh, there are certain ones where you can put an XD driver on there, but you don't need to. Stop right there. Yeah. Just run an 11-speed cassette. Because like, the inside pit, the
1: inside width of your chains on 11 and 12 is identical. Exactly And you're not right. going to be shifting on a smart trainer anyway.
0: And even if you are and you have Eagle and then you go to an 11-speed cassette, a lot of the time the shifting has no problem. You just... You know, don't want to go all the way up to that small cog and then keep shifting into the trainer. Yeah, so that would be bad. <laughs> that would be bad. Uh, cause remember Eagle is the same spacing as 11 speed. It's just got an extra guy on there. It's a little different. A little different. but It's like all one one hundred and twenty-eighth of an inch difference. <laughs> yeah. So like in terms of if it's going to mess up your shifting? No. No. You're going to be good. Yeah. So, um, but once again, like Steven said, you're going to be a smart trainer. You don't but have to worry about shifting. I have a feeling we're going to recommend another route for this. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think so. Yeah. He says, I would prefer something less than a thousand dollars. And that's why. There's a kicker. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Ha right. ha. Puns. <laughs> that is a good one. Yeah. He says, if wheel on is the best solution, what cheap rear wheel and tire should I get so he says, I'm going to run through the rest, then we're going to cover this backwards here. He says, My current hubs are DT Swiss 350 with a ratchet system on there. If wheel off is the best option, which one is the best, and what modifications will I need to do to fit my bike? Thanks in advance for the awesome podcast. So, I say,
1: yeah, yeah, I say you get a cheap mm-hmm. DT Swiss or whatever mm-hmm. 27.5 wheel, even just a, a basic um, stands would be great. Yep. Totally. Just to get a rear wheel that's mm-hmm. 148. Mm-hmm. Then what I would do is I would get, um, Um, the Kurt kinetic road machine, Yep, they have a boost rear axle that trainer will work up to, you know, so basically you can get like a two inch or inch inch and a half slick tire for that rear wheel. Mm -hmm. And then you can just, if it's a DT Swiss, you can just pop your cassette and free hub body right off of your nice wheel set off your SB six and plop it right onto this trainer,
0: Yep, throw it in, put the big, uh, trainer skewer in it go. And you're dialed. So that's, yeah. that's my recommendation too. And the reason for that is I don't recommend buying a smart trainer unless it's the top end smart trainers from the, it's either the wa or the, the tax Neo, mm-hmm. the Cyclops hammer or the Wahoo kicker. Yeah. Other than that, I've seen so many other issues with the other ones, whether it be hardware, whether it be software or whether it be compatibility with compatibility with mountain bikes mm-hmm. or The biggest one, just feel like those smart trainers, like we've talked about this before, they may have smart control, but they probably feel like garbage. Like it feels like you're pedaling through chunky peanut butter. Yeah. So that's, it doesn't matter if it's controlling resistance. If it feels terrible the whole time, then it's going to be annoying. So I I would, and the road machine conversely feels incredible. It does. It's It's the most amazing, smooth feeling trainer I've ever ridden. Yep. It's the best feeling trainer out there in my mind. Yeah. Um, smart or not. And, uh, the cool thing is, so you're running a speed sensor on yours right now, and then you're using virtual power, right? Yeah, so I'm using the Garmin, um, the strap
1: on cadence sensor mm-hmm. on the crank arm and the hub okay. speed sensor. And
0: the, the cool thing though, that you can do here is you can, so the road machine, there are two different road machines. There's the road machine, smart, and the road machine, smart control, mm-hmm. the smart control is known to have some Don't. some niggles. Just get the regular smart, yep, and that's it. And the regular smart has and I know you're not using this, but it's a valid option. It's it has a sensor called the inride all that is is it. Is so basically, what that will do is that will pair to, tr- to trainer road, and then it will relay power data. All mm-hmm. it is is a speed sensor. It works just like our virtual power setup, mm-hmm. where you just pair your speed sensor and let us know what trainer you have. But in this case, the InRide does that math on board and sends it up there. Yeah. And the cool thing about the InRide or that that trainer is the fact that it comes with an InRide, so you have your power source already in your dial. Like yeah. you don't have to get any extra stuff. Yeah. So and the InRide is Bluetooth. So, is. which is handy, which is you great can pair yeah. it up with yeah. things. So. so the
1: one thing that I will say though, um, I switched over to my road wheel set and forgot my Garmin speed sensor on my gravel wheel set. Mm-hmm. So I was using the in sensor mm-hmm. for speed and the Garmin cadence sensor for cadence. Yep. If you do this, if you use the InRide, do not use any um, power smoothing at all. I had my power smoothing set at three seconds, uh-huh. and I did monitor uh-huh. the other day on trainer road. Yeah, and it was all over the place. Getting it to settle into the right power, it was not good. Interesting. So, so run zero seconds of power smoothing
0: hmm. yeah, in your trainer
1: road. It might come already smooth from the end ride. You're I, I think it is because it's yeah. The three seconds works really well on the Garmin sensors. Mm-hmm. It's. I hate to say it; it's terrible on the internet. Interesting, yeah. yeah.
0: So, power smoothing, and we're getting deep into the we are getting, stuff, yeah. But power smoothing is uh, an option that you can do, where you basically just smooth the power that's displayed to you. Yes, because when you put out power you are not smooth No, and not at all. any smart trainer that tries to show a perfectly smooth graph. It's a lie. Mm-hmm. It's not real. Um, they're just doing that to make you feel good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, we're not, we're not a perfect machine Our the power is constantly variable. Yeah. So power smoothing, it doesn't change the power that's recorded. Mm-hmm. That's raw and that stays as it is, but it changes the power that's being displayed to you in real time. Yeah. So you can average it out and depending on the duration to three seconds or one second all the way up to plenty of seconds. Yeah. So, um, I usually recommend something like three seconds is usually good, but like you said, it does depend on device. <clears throat> like for example, with my stages, I actually like, I go up to five seconds on my stages okay. and then on my cork, I just use three seconds. Okay. So, um, and like you said, on the in ride, zero seconds might be best. Maybe so, even one, I, I just know three seconds was There we go. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Good tip. <clears throat> so uh, Quentin says, I've been plowing through the podcasts or I've been plowing through the podcast since the end of December and I'm catching up on the latest podcasts as I write this question. At least to say, I've heard a lot of your voices in the past month. Mm. <laughs> S- sorry or good? I don't know. He says, anyway, question time. I have a lot of Cannondales. <clears throat> my current count is three mountain bikes, one gravel and one road. I have five lefties in the house. If you include the old 26 or hardtail that I built up as a hybrid for my wife. They've all been amazing and reliable. I took my slate in for the majors service on the lefty and the dealer found a gouge on the lower stanchion it was a couple hundred bucks to fix this is my first bootless lefty when he says bootless lefty he means that this is um a bike without a a shock boot covering the stanchion yeah which is the head shock used to always have this Mm
1: -hmm. and some of the older lefties did
0: Yep. He says, so this is my first bootless lefty. And I've never heard of her, never had this issue before. To be fair, I've not been great about cleaning after every ride in the slate saw a lot of mud. He says, there you go. He says, I also just picked up a bad habit one with 120 millimeter travel and a bootless lefty, any tips on how to keep the lower from meeting the same fate? Uh, so cause he says that he plans on using that bad habit for plenty of mud. Yeah. Um, so the, the thing is I, I think that the real problem, it isn't the lack of boot. I think that the problem here is like you said that you didn't, you said you haven't been great about cleaning after every ride in the slate saw a lot of mud. You know,
1: yes and no. I mean, if it's a gouge caused by like a rock flying up and hitting it or the bike, you know, bashing into something, that's one thing. But yeah. if it's just general wear, mm. a boot is actually gonna make that worse. The reason that Cannondale got rid of doing the boot protector, mm-hmm. the reason that motos don't use boot protectors mm-hmm. anymore, the reasons that you don't see boot protectors on shocks on vehicles anymore, is that traps dirt and water and moisture in and it corrodes and causes more issues than it's, leaving it open.
0: Yeah. Isn't there a fork guard that
1: you so can get? So there is a fork guard and the thing is the lefty Oliver, which is okay. the fork that comes on the slate, yeah. doesn't come with that, that guard. Guard. It actually has the bolt holes in it. Okay, You'll see down where the lefty front axle, like the, the yeah, axle yeah. assembly is. There's two little threaded inserts. That's where the guard goes. Just have your local bike shop order one and cool. put it on there. And that's how you protect it. Awesome. And I mean, I ran my 2015 Jekyll for an entire year with the guard on it. I actually broke one of the guards because um, I... I don't remember what I did at Whistler, but you know, what happens in Whistler stays in Whistler. Um, yeah, yeah. so, you know, I never had a single issue with that. The fort guard did its job all the time. So mm-hmm. just get one of those, throw it on and be done with it. If your bad habit doesn't have one on there, do the same thing. I highly recommend always having one on there Yeah, because it is kind of a precarious position to have a stanchion that shouldn't get marred up.
0: So the interesting thing is I have a counterpoint to that. Okay. Um, not that that's a bad idea because, so you have the luxury of putting a fort guard on one mm-hmm. on the lefty and that's awesome. Yeah, but you don't, don't on an RS1. Yeah. But that said, I've ne- I haven't scratched a stanchion in over 2 years of riding on an RS1. Yeah. And I've never scratched a stanchion And I have ridden that bike hard through a lot of crazy stuff, and I've never scratched a stanchion. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it could have been just a fluke. Yeah. Like, I I think that for this guy, he very well could have an issue. Mm -hmm. But I could see other people thinking, well, the problem is that you have a stanchion sticking down there. And while in theory that makes sense, in practice, at least in my situation, I haven't had a single problem. Yeah. No, that's, and that's totally true. It's crazy. Like, uh, and I honestly expected it to be a problem. Mm hmm. I'm, I'm pretty shocked that I haven't done anything like that. And it's not like I ever, when I'm riding, it's not like, I'm like, Oh, don't scratch the sanction, you know, like I'm never thinking of that. So for at the end of the day, you know,
1: know, that you know, I guess you could say, you know, our experiences make our reality. So for Quentin, he's already had an issue. You haven't, you're surprised you haven't, he's already had the issues. So therefore put those fork guards on.
0: Totally. Yeah. It's a, it's a good option to have. Yes. I think that if rock cared about their RS one, which it seems like they really don't, <laughs> <laughs> which is ironic. It's the most expensive fork out there. Uh, if they cared about it, then I feel like they would have, because that'd be a simple option to do yes. basically on the lugs down at the bottom, you would just have spots where it's standoffs Too for little. lugs. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Man. It's pretty easy or er, standoffs for bolts. Brian says, I recently found your podcast and love it. In episode 35, one of you mentioned USWE hydration packs. That's USWE hydration packs. I've recently been eyeing the Camelback Skyline 10L. And that's, I, I, it's the LR actually the LR 10 LR 10. Yeah. Okay. He says, because the water bladder and the pack itself sits low on the back, keeping the center of mass low and comfortable. Now I don't know which pack to try any suggestions to help make a decision. Thanks, Brian. Brian, uh, first of all, Mm -hmm. I know you were going to answer, but I'm just going to interrupt you. That's the
1: pack I have. And I love it.
0: The Camelback. Yeah. I have
1: the Skyline 10L. Um,
0: What, what do you, what
1: what do you love about it? I love that it's lower center of gravity. It's Uh still a hundred or a hundred ounce or three liter um bladder. Yep. Super low. Has every like all the space inside to carry everything I've ever needed for really long rides, like when we did our forty mile mountain bike ride, mm-hmm. you know, up and over Mount Rose. Yeah. It, I had more than enough space for that. Um it, it's it's a, it's I it's plenty and I use it on the gravel rides. Um yeah, I, yeah it's been a phenomenal pack.
0: It seems like a smartly designed pack. Um it's it's funny. I think that I think that the low center of gravity is why one reason why people like uh, fanny packs. And let's call them fanny packs. They're not shuttle packs. They're not packs. Shuttle packs or enduro packs. They're not yeah. enduro packs. Yeah. It's a fanny pack. Amy Morrison. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so these are. I think that that's why a lot of people like the fanny packs, mm-hmm. and I get it. Yeah. Um, the one cool thing about this one is that it, at least it has the shoulder straps, then hopefully it holds it a little tighter. The one thing I'll say, and this is where YouSuite has an advantage on every other bag company, is mm-hmm. no other bag holds as tightly to your body without being restrictive. It's crazy. Yeah, that is true. It's, it's, it's like, and for me, that's the most important thing mm-hmm. is that it doesn't slosh around like my bag isn't moving on my back. Okay. Cause that's when I really get the problem. That's when I feel like the weight is on me and mm-hmm. it's causing issues Okay, is when I move and then my bag keeps moving in that direction. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, you, you go off like a, like a technical rock roll section or something like that. And your front end drops down and then yeah. your bag's like, Oh no, you haven't gone over the bars yet here. I'll help you. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> I'm going to push Let you over give you further. Yeah. yeah. It's like the big brother. That's like, nope. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. So I like for me, priorities of the bag is number 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 one, it cannot move on me. It has to be very fixed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Priority number two is that it it should be low. And the u sweet ones don't sit low necessarily. No. But they also don't sit high. If you look at the way they make their packs, they're more voluminous in the bottom Mm -hmm. and less voluminous in the top. Yeah. And I think that that's- Unlike your hair. (laughs) (laughs) True story. Sorry, and I think that the reason behind that is because they're trying to have either or whatever you're carrying your cargo, they're trying to make it sit lower or encourage you to make it sit lower Mm -hmm. to help with that. Yeah, Um, I think that if they had a way of being able to make the straps, but then also making it sit low, I think that it would be even better. Yeah, Um, but I actually the crazy thing is is I. I looked at that bet the U squeeze at first and I was like, uh, they have straps that go around that look like an awesome retention system, but it's really high. I don't want to, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. But then once I tried one, I was like, I don't even notice the weight being high yeah. because it's so fixed to my body. Exactly. That's it, the thing is if it's,
1: if it stays with you, then that fixed mm-hmm. mass isn't going to be a big deal.
0: Yeah. It's and and I know scientifically it's better to have the mass low. I get that. I 100% do. And I argue for that, right? Like I'm saying like that would be a way to make the pack better. Yeah. But you, what I'm saying also in the, like what you just said is you really don't notice it that much on the ride, if any at all, if it's really fixed to your body. Yeah. So I have the airborne, Yes. And then um, I actually have some coming too, an Airborne 3. Which is the bigger version. Uh-huh. That's the one that has the
1: external. It's and an Airborne 2 with an external pack on it for tools.
0: And then I think there's an even bigger one. The, the Airborne, Airborne 9 and, and the 15. 15. I think I have the 15 coming too. So How many that. pounds of pot are you planning on transporting? <laughs> Jesus. That's a lot. I mean, you can carry other things in the yeah. bag. So. <laughs> um, no, I, I wanted one that I could fit camera gear in and everything ah. else too. And a couple extra tires. Yeah, yes, <laughs> sure. I'm hoping that the 15 gets here or the other one gets here in time for... Um, Sedona for Sedona, but okay. I'm not sure if they will. So Gotcha. Um but anyways, they're they're really good packs, yeah. man. And and at the end of the day,
1: my skyline, it does not move around either. Awesome. So that's, that's what you want to look That is look a good for. thing, but you also have to make sure that it's fitted right for you. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And there's make sure your your gear inside. The cool thing I like about this one is it's small and tight, and all of your tools fit into spots in both the the waistbands uh-huh. and in the back in the actual main pack into spots where they're not
0: flopping around. That's cool. So that's a cool thing. Having compartments is super nice. Yeah. Also, another big help for a lot of people is to get... um, So a number of people make this. Hydropack makes bladders like this, uh, but uh, so does Camelback as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have... uh, Their bladders themselves have like a joined seam through the center. Yes. That stops it from just being a full like water balloon. It creates different chambers. Exactly. And what that will do is that doesn't keep like water and mix separate. Mm -mm. What those different chambers do is it basically just just stops the water from transferring from one side to the next, one side to the next. Sloshing back and forth, yeah. And then causing a lot of shift in momentum. So- that can go a long way to helping. Yeah. The other thing that I would say is if you have a problem with your current pack and like it feels like it's sloshing around, maybe you don't need as big of a reservoir. That's And true. it can be like a small cheap upgrade mm-hmm. that you can do to make your pack a whole lot better. Yeah. Because a smaller reservoir will mean less shifting weight. Yeah. And and
1: that's the thing. Most of the time, I don't even use the full 100 ounces in my yeah. Skyline pack. I usually fill it with 70 to 80 yeah. unless it's a really long ride. Yeah. True story. Yep.
0: Uh, Nate says, Jonathan, Steven, this is less of a question, more of a sharing what I've been working on. He says, I've been listening to your podcast since you first started. And I love your knowledge and perspective on everything on everything in this sport. You give great advice and cover great topics. I feel like a butt is coming up, but, but I don't think there is. I don't. Yeah. He says on your last podcast, episode 44, one of the questions was sent in about bike sizing and a listener was trying to decide on a large or medium. They were playing around with a one seventy dropper and greater stack. And I think even changing a STEM, your advice, which was spot on was to look at the geometry numbers instead of manufacturing manufacturer sizing, uh, he says, my friend and I have been doing just that. We created a database for bikes so users can compare reach angles and travel and more. We're still working on adding bikes and designing it more. Uh, but right now it's kind of in beta form. Will you please take a look at it and let me know what you think. We are working on d- daily on adding bikes. He says, thanks for your time and feedback. If you like it, I would love a mention of the URL on a future podcast, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. It's called bike nerds.io. This is an idea that I've had for quite a while and I've like Wanted to build it or wanted other people to build it. And here we go. I have all these spreadsheets of like products that I build up like this, like for comparison purposes. Yeah. And uh, I I never put them like user facing, but like this sort of thing is really valuable. This Absolutely. is an awesome idea. Yeah. So you can go there to bikenerdsio dot uh, IO, and then you can basically compare multiple different bikes in a really easy side- by side comparison. That's awesome. It just makes it easier than looking at geo charts from one to the next and then, you know saying, oh, well, measurement A is actually measurement double Z over on this bike <clears> and keeping track of it. So easy, uh, quick tool, and it's awesome. That's awesome. Good job, man. Uh, good job, Nate Osborne. Uh, next one is from Horacio. He's from Chile. I think it's Horatio. <laughs> Horatio? Gotcha. No. Okay. Yeah. How'd you say it? Horacio. There you go. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. He says, Hey, question from Chile. He says, I'll be racing EWS Chile, Lo, Lo Barnachea. That's a really nice place mm-hmm. in Chile. God bless you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I used to, I, 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 for podcast listeners that don't know, I served a church mission in Chile for two years mm-hmm. um, in Santiago. I love that place. You did DWS before W S was down <laughs> I mean, there. I was riding a mountain bike in yeah, Chile. This is true. It was uh, wa- Chile's version of a Walmart bike. Okay. It wasn't great. Uh, the wheel tacoed on me about 16 miles from our apartment when we lived out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. and uh, Well, we actually lived in like a shack, not an apartment, and uh, like a shanty, I think would be an appropriate term in this case. Gotcha. So we got 16 miles away. And, uh, yes, I've read everyone's laughing, you know, thinking of the Mormon missionaries having bike problems. Um, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, not was only laughing. did Jonathan have that, but he was in a foreign country, a foreign country yeah. far away. And I'm just pulling into somebody's driveway. That's all I'm trying to do. It's slightly off camber. And all I'm doing is just hitting my brakes in a very controlled manner. Mm-hmm. And then I was just standing on my fork lugs. <laughs> like the base of my fork was on the ground yeah, and my wheel was just kind of hanging out to the side. <laughs> Good. It was a full taco. So I leaned it back over and then I just, I took the wheel off and then I just tried to straighten the wheel, which it terrifyingly was easy to do. Yeah. And I just straight, straightened it back out, put it back in my bike, got three revolutions and it tacoed again. So I ended up walking back with like a 45 pound Walmart or chi- Chilean Walmart bicycle. What brand was it? Oh gosh. i it's a different brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have it here. I can't remember. I want to say it's like a Next. You we know? have Next, yeah. But it's but it not Next. Yeah. It's like a Chilean Next. Whatever, so. yeah.
1: Whatever Chilean is for Next. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, oh, man, it was funny. I, and then I ended up walking all the way back until randomly a farmer came by with like a flatbed truck and he was kind enough to... I hitchhiked my way back with my nice. companion, so. Nice.
1: Good times in Chile, man. What did your mission, like the partner that you were with, what did he do?
0: Did he ride back and leave you or did he walk with you? No, he, he hung out with me. Okay. That's he's awesome, man. Yeah. He's Good. super cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, really cool dude from Peru. So uh, anyways, uh, so he says he's racing EWS Chile Lo by the end of March and my bike uh, may not be the ideal one for the terrain. He says, I ride a YT Jeff C, CF 29er. What upgrades would you recommend to race at 3000 meters with dry, loose and rocky terrain? I'm mostly concerned about using tires that withstand terrain, uh, which is famous for destroying carbon wheels. What tires do you recommend? He says I'm thinking of using the Maxxis Minion DHF 2.5 for the front and High Roller 2.3 or High Roller Two 2.3 for the back wheel. Uh, he mentions that he's installing the Luftkappe Vorsprung on, or Vorsprung on the 140 millimeter Pike and a 28 Wolf Tooth uh, chain ring to be able to climb at such altitude. Any other tips are welcome. Great podcast. Thanks. Um. I would probably do the 30 tooth
1: wolf tooth in the oval. Okay. So that you get 28 on the small side and 32 on the big side. Okay. So I would- Instead of going to 28? Going to a straight 28, because then if you do a 28 oval, you're 26 and 30.
0: I mean, that might not be too bad. So either one,
1: either the 28 or 30 elliptical, I think would be great. Yep. Um, But then I also think that your tires, I would do the DHR2 in the rear. Okay more aggressive, but I would get both front and rear tires and double down. Okay. And I would, sure. And I would probably be more apt to do some sort of rim protection, um, either a, like a Huck Norris or yep. the, uh, what's the other brand that just came out? Why can't I think of it?
0: Uh, I don't know. So the, the interesting thing is the guys at envy said, and now granted, I, I know that some people might say this could be for marketing, but they tested uh, rim protection strips like that. And they mm-hmm. said that it didn't protect against pinch flats and it didn't actually protect protect the rim interesting Um, and actually that's been kind of a thing that a lot of people have said Hmm. is that they because it's kind of hard to test clearly you know because you're just like oh it didn't flat that time well who's to say it actually made the difference you know yeah the only Um, I was thinking but it seems like it should work in my mind yeah it seems like it should work I think double down tires with cush cores yeah I feel like
1: that's what I would do. It probably won't hurt. Yeah. I and know, in that I don't case, think? all that extra mass, I would say definitely do the 28 tooth <laughs> chain ring. <Yeah.
0: laughs> you can have dirt bike tires on yeah. there. Uh, the one thing I would say is, so I know that that region is famous for, for the anti-grip dirt as they call it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it's loose over hard as much as it is just loose mm-hmm. and kind of blown out. So if it's, Um, if it's going to be loose stuff, then you want to, you're going to want to have like a taller knob tire because you're going to be able to get more, more grip with that situation. (laughs) If it's going to be more loose over hard that you're dealing with, then you might want to have something that isn't necessarily as tall, but like something, even like an aggressor or something like that, that has more surface area and less tall knobs in the rear might be better. That's true. So. Yeah. Um, but it's always, it just depends on the surface you're riding on there. And I don't know what the anti-grip dirt is actually like. I think it's loose. Yeah. But I, I don't know. And I would consider on the front
1: tire doing a max grip, no matter what. Do the softest Good, grippiest yeah. compound compound you can find. Good idea. Yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, that, that race looks awesome. It's like a super picturesque, gorgeous area. It's mm-hmm. really cool. They just actually did, uh, Andy's Pacifico just happened there, um, uh, which we'll cover next week a little bit in the news, uh, or I should say next episode that we do in the news. But, uh, yeah, this is like a dream of mine. If anybody's li- listening from uh mountain bike, I believe is the, the, <clears throat> the publication or the people that, that organize these events, mm-hmm. if anybody's listening. And they what just want to, if- you know, okay. <laughs> they just want to, you know, cover some, some flight costs down to Chile. We could go do Andy's Pacifico or um, EWS. I'm all for it. Just yeah. saying, you know, we could cover it. Yeah. We, well, we'll cover all of it. Yeah. I mean, everything. I need stamps in my passport, man. <laughs> <laughs> it would be awesome. And I would love to go back to Chile. Uh, I love that place. My heart's still there. So... Uh, drew from Colorado. That's his name. He says, uh, hi guys. Yeah. Interesting middle name too. He says, hi guys. Five stars as always been listening to the podcast since episode three. So keep it up. And he says, I have started using trainer road and I'm five weeks in and already seeing benefits on PRs out on the trails. Nice job, man. So thanks for that. He says, my question is around the ideal bike quiver. My main mountain bike riding focuses on aggressive trail riding and enduro racing. And I'm bending my trainer road plan to peak for Santa Fe for the fan Santa Fe stop at the big mountain enduro in may. Nice man. Good, Good. to hear. Yeah. He says I have the all, I have an all mountain bike for this purpose. I have another bike. Let's call it. My wife's bike. He says that in quotes. <laughs> that is a trail hardtail, and I'm thinking about selling it and getting something more specific. Well, sir, if that is quotes your wife's bike, hopefully she's okay with you selling that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he says, I also have a cheap road bike that is on full-time trainer duty. If I wanted to add another race discipline, an appropriate bike to my training, which should I do? Cross country or cyclocross? Can you talk about the pros and cons of each, as it might complement my regular regimen of party riding? Thanks. I think cyclocross is going to be more apt
1: to, to an enduro riding style with the on and off intervals. Um,
0: yeah, Yeah.
1: but I don't think, I I don't think there's really one that's better than the other. Really. What do you want to do? Yeah. Do you want to do cyclocross and gravel or do you want to do cross country? If you want to ride
0: mountain bike terrain, cross country. Absolutely. If you don't care about that and you just want to do fitness and then you want to have, um, you want to have some good party vibes, Mm -hmm. cyclocross. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. And the other thing is your cyclocross bike could also double as your trainer bike, just like mine does.
0: It's a good setup to have, man. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And I would say, or you could go the other way and you could get an XC hardtail, like a really good one. Mm -hmm. And then you could use that in cross and cross country.
1: Yeah. Just don't plan on doing anything like USAC or UCI at, you know, cat one or two level. Yeah. Because you have to have drop bars and all mm-hmm. that. So. I think
0: you can still race Cat 3 maybe with bars. I think it's up to
1: Cat 3. Or juniors maybe only. Whatever. I can't remember. but Maybe it's only 4 or 5 that you're allowed to have flat bars. Yeah, something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, but it's anyways, like cross
1: is weird like that. That's what I would do. Yeah. yeah. I'd get a cross bike. It'll replace all road bikes. Mm-hmm. And it'll replace your trainer bike. And, and then you bike. can get your wife an XC bike.
0: And then you can ride around and grab bacon and dollar bills and adult beverages from people while you're riding around doing yes. cyclocross. Things. Absolutely. So rarely happens in cross country. <laughs> rarely. <laughs> uh, Johnny says, I know both of you have talked about riding SB 5.5s in prior episodes. In these podcasts, you talked about switching out the stock tires for wider tires. I'm wondering if you ever did this. I'm thinking I would like to ride a 2.6 in the front and 2.5 in the back. Is this feasible without getting tire rub? Also, what brand or model would you recommend? And he mentions, he says, I mainly ride in Western Colorado and Moab with loose dirt and technical red rock climbing and descending. I think I could really benefit from wider tires to grip the rock as I climb. Thanks in advance. Keep it the great work.
1: Uh, Johnny, it all kind of comes down to your width of your, of your rims. Um, You're not going to fit a two five in the back of an SB five, five with a 31 to 35 mil internal.
0: Yeah. It ain't going to happen.
1: Yeah. So, you know what I did on my five fives, I always had my first five hive. I ran um, a DHF 2.3 max grip in the front Mm -hmm. and a Minion SS 2.3 Silkworm or a DHR2 3C max Terra in a 2.3 in the back. Okay. That was the first setup. Mm -hmm. My second SB55 Mm -hmm. was set up with the Mavic 2.35's front and back. Yeah. I never found a need for much wider of a wheel. I had the M70 high-volume NVs on it yeah. on both bikes, yeah. and I never saw a need for anything bigger, yeah. ever. I j- and I rode at Moab. I rode, you know, I ride all over the place, and I never needed a bigger tire.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I I think that even though bigger tires are in vogue, we don't all have to rush quite to that, you, no. know, like, you know what I mean, like, like you're saying. Um, 2.3, uh, 2.35, you can fit in the rear just fine on yeah. a 5.5. A 2.5, depending on the rim width, yeah. You might be able to make it fit, mm-hmm. but then also, are, do you really want that tire? Because maybe it's being domed a little much in yeah. that case, and you're not getting as good a braking. You're not getting as good as roll. You know, there are characteristics of the tire you don't that you don't want to get rid of.
1: Yeah. And I think especially for you, you know, riding in Moab more, I think that is going to be more indicative to compound than size of tire
0: yeah and i would also say that if you have a narrow if you're running a two five with a narrower rim to make it fit that's not going to be good yeah and that type of terrain that means that you'll have a lot of sidewall bulge Mm -hmm. and that makes creates an unstable sidewall yeah which is really bad when you're on extremely grippy solid surfaces and then also really bad for sidewall tears yeah so yeah. yeah, if you have something that's more like squared up, it can be better off for you. So you
1: want you want to try a really good combo from Moab, Mavic Charge XL front tire, mm-hmm. and the Quest XL rear. There oh, that that combo's 29 combo is hmm. a twenty nine combo, sub thousand grams in a twenty nine er, two by sixty six TPI sidewalls. Okay. So pretty much as close as you can get to a downhill sidewall yeah. without being a 1400 gram tire. And that front tire is so sticky. It's, it's probably stickier than max grip compound from Maxis.
0: Yeah. Those sticky rubbers from, from Mavic are crazy. They are. Let's yeah, They don't like, last
1: super long,
0: yeah. but they're phenomenal. You tires. can dig your fingernail into it without much effort. Exactly. So yeah, they're like gummy bears. Yeah. It's pretty awesome, yeah. man. Uh, Peter says, Jonathan, if you're looking to secure a spot for the Leadville Trail 100 race this year, and I, f- I threw this in because this I thought was a good tip. Mm-hmm. The best qualifer- qualifier race to do is the Leadville Stage Race. <clears throat> I did it last year, and since most people who raced were already signed up for the Leadville ta- or Leadville Trail 100 race, there were more spots available than people who were looking to secure a spot. It turned out that everyone who wanted in for the uh, for the for Leadville were given the option of either racing in 2017 or deferring to 2018. I ended up deferring to 2018. So I am in for this year. It's also a great way to become familiar with the course since it covers the same route. So I know a lot of people try to, uh, you know, like Leadville is their goal. Mm -hmm. Um, this year it's my, it's my goal. Okay for some crazy reason. Um, no, we're, 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 making some content around it for, for training road. We're trying to understand better the demands of Leadville so we can help people prepare for it better. Yeah. Um, not exactly my idea of like, you know, the best, the best day on the bike or anything yeah. that's for darn sure. But anyways, uh, yeah, I think that that is probably the best way to do it. The only challenge is that's getting to Leadville twice in one year. And like, I mean, if you're in Colorado or around that area, sure. Not tough, but yeah. man, that would be rough for me. Um, <clears> getting all the way out there with all the other traveling I do. So uh, you, if, if for information on qualifying for Liveville, go onto their website and you can qualify a bunch of different ways. Yeah. So, uh, at different races that you can do, uh, David, uh, from prefers dirt. That's his name. <laughs> he says, hi guys. Love the podcast and all that, all, and all that five-star stuff, <clears throat> five-star stuff. Forgive me while taking, while talking new equipment is great. There is always the risk of getting a case of the, I want my question is how it's a swollen you... want. <laughs> yes, indeed it is. <laughs> he says, my question is how do you know when you need to upgrade equipment? In other words, how do you know the bike or a part of the bike is holding you back and not just the engine or mind that is on it? That's a good question. Keep up the great work. Thank you. And he says, signed. My bike is faster than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't they all. <laughs> Aren't they all. <laughs> yep. Um, how do you want to go about answering that yeah. question? Uh, So it's very easy to feel like a a part or an upgrade is going to make the difference that you need to get faster. Yeah. However, I am repeatedly reminded by folks like uh, there's a guy named JP Donovan in Reno Mm -hmm. that shows up to like the road races that we have and he shows up in a skate helmet Mm -hmm. and like a baggy t-shirt. Yep. And he'll have like cut off jorts, but it's not like short ones. They're like capri jorts. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, he usually shows up and then he rides off the front of everybody for in a road race for like a good 30 minutes out of like an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and it's pretty scary. So yeah. he's just extremely fit. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to look at like when you're getting into mountain biking, then yes, there can be more technical limitations, but you know, slap a really good rider on a really bad bike. They'll still be good. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, I think that, uh, it's very easy to do that in my mind. I feel like if you are doing all that you can to train then, and to get better, then you make upgrade decisions based on like small marginal gains. And it becomes more of like a fully subjective reason where it's, you aren't justifying things. Yeah, Like you basically know it, if you're training all the time, you know, that you suck because training reminds you that you suck regularly mm-hmm. right So <laughs> like no matter what. has because- anybody ever told you you should be a motivational speaker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah great right <laughs> No, not at all. The key is just to remove your suck. I think mm-hmm. that's the key right yeah so um but with training, you're constantly reminded of the fact that like, oh okay, climbing's still hard because mm-hmm. no matter how fast you get, you're just gonna climb it faster, but it's still really hard yep. right So I feel like when you do that and you're constantly training and you're constantly doing that, you recognize the fact that hey, This is holding me back more than equipment X, whatever that item may be, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, when I upgrade things, it's purely because I'm okay with upgrading it. And that's a cost that I'm going to put into my bike and that's fine. But I don't justify it. Like this is what's holding me back from getting first place. I'm stuck in second now yeah. and this is what's holding me back. I never think of it that way yeah. because I know that once I start doing that, that's a slippery slope. Yeah, a set of nv 525s are not
1: gonna make you go from second place to third place in any particular race.
0: Nope, they won't. No. Um, it may make my ride more enjoyable. Yeah. Um, it may my, make my bike a funner thing to build and to, to enjoy building like that. Like mm-hmm. I like that process. Yeah. Um, and it will make my bike a better riding bike, but it's not gonna be the type of thing that makes the difference on race day yeah. for me. Mm-hmm.
1: But a different front tire, if you're experiencing washout and you're experiencing, you know, you've played with, you know, air pressures to the point where you can't dial in a particular tire, especially say a front, because fronts are always more critical in my mm-hmm. opinion than rears. Mm-hmm. So you change compound or you change tire or you do something that makes, that's an upgrade that I see a tangible benefit in. Yep. Totally. If you, if your bike comes with a 34 fork and you're finding that. Oh crap, these Enduro races, I definitely need a 36 because I'm just destroying my 34.
0: Which you'll know if that's the case. Yes. So I think if you if you <clears> don't know if that's the problem, you might think that's the problem right now. Yeah. You'll know if that's the problem. Because you'll feel that thing flexing like a tuning fork in front of you. Yeah. So. That's my that's
1: more indication for me of when you need an upgrade yeah. is when you are overriding something to the point where it is no longer an effective part on your bike. Yeah. Every single ride, I'm having to retrue my wheels. Every single ride, I'm having to, you know, uh, you know, play with air pressure in the fork, or I feel it wobbly, or you know, my brakes just aren't working, or you know, and I've tried every one of Steve's methods to get my guides to work properly, and (laughs) and they still suck, or just brakes. (laughs) So you know, there's that's the way that I look at and tell all of my friends and customers how they should upgrade their bike. You shouldn't upgrade your bike just because oh I want you know the new DPX two rear shock. I want the new four-way adjustable 36 RC2, you know, fork.
0: And if you want that, that's fine. That is you fine. You can upgrade that, but don't justify that exactly. as like that being the thing that's holding it back. Yeah.
1: Like me, yeah. my Jekyll, I, I, I'm not a fan of lockouts on forks at all. Yep. And I've always loved the 36 RC2 and the new four-way adjustable high speed, you know, the high speed, low speed adjustment, um, fork. I love the idea of that 2018 fork. My Jekyll came with a fit for yeah. 36. And I'm not upgrading it. Yeah. You want to know why? Because I don't care. Because it's not holding me It's back. not holding me back anywhere. Exactly. Same with the Gemini rear shock. They just switched over. They had a rolling change in production over to the new DPX2 mm-hmm. Gemini rear shock. Yeah. From the Float X EVOL Yeah. G- Gemini. Yeah. Am I upgrading it? No, because my Flodex is fine. My yeah. Flodex Evol um, Gemini, that's a lot to say, it is, is working perfectly fine. Did I replace the carbon? You know, the, the that bike came with carbon handlebars. They're house branded Cannondale C1. You know, they're a 20 mil mm-hmm. rise, 780 width. They're a good bend and a good sweep. I haven't replaced them with Envy's yet. I don't care. It's, it's if, working fine for me.
0: And if you do those things, it'll be an okay decision that isn't based on the premise or like justifying like, well, I'm getting this because this is going to make me faster. Yeah. Something like that. You know, like this is holding me back. Yeah. It's because you want it and yeah. you're okay with spending money on yeah. it and that's okay. Like, I think that, and I know that you're saying, oh, I want itis. I think that I would rephrase that and say, I thought, I find that a lot of people search for justifications for these, per- for these purchases and perhaps get a little long in the stretch there mm-hmm. when they're doing that. Right. Yeah, like, absolutely. and I think that that's the key is making sure, cause we talk about gear a lot. I think that you have to make be realistic with yourself. Mm-hmm. Just not let those justifications slip in.
1: And just talking about my personal experience again, I'm running the stock wheel set on that bike because it's holding up really well. It's fine. I don't have yep. to true it. But at the same time, I've spent hundreds of dollars getting uh, probably 180 maybe $200 trying to get my brakes to work properly. I've switched rotors, switched brake pads, gone to Motul Fluid, gone through and bled multiple times and done, you know, vacuuming on them and done all this work just on my brakes alone because those are showing me I can do better here.
0: Yep. There we are. That's it. Awesome. Yeah. Uh Steven, with that, let's close things out with our tips. Yeah. You don't care they're counting on your tips to live. (laughs) Okay, I'll kick things off this week. And mine actually isn't a product. We usually say products, but this is a tip for people. Uh, I'm, I'm going through my, my ASR. It, it may be, so a guy has a deposit on it, um, right now, um, mm-hmm. cause I'll be selling it at some point when I replace it. And anyways, I was talking to him and getting him some exact measurements and he was asking for measurements from the tip of the saddle to this, that sort of a thing, you know, um, this point to like the, the top, <coughs> the top of the saddle, that sort of a thing. And I wanted to bring up a a problem that I see with a lot of folks and how they measure up their bikes in relation to saddles. Mm -hmm. A lot of people measure it from the nose of the saddle and that is, that is flawed. Every saddle has a different length to it. Totally. And a saddle may be the same length Mm -hmm. as another saddle, but you actually sit on that saddle in a different position in relation to the front and back of it. Right. So the key is what I call the anchor point Mm -hmm. or where your sit bones or ischial tuberosities are anchored to that seat. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so you allergic to anything, you sneeze a lot today. (laughs) (laughs) So when they drop, when you, when you sit down and you feel like, okay, my pelvis is anchored into my saddle. Yes. Take your finger. And then feel where that is in relation to the saddle laterally for like front to back, you know, Mm -hmm. type of a thing, and then keep your hand there then step off the bike Mm -hmm. and then you can use a paint pen to mark underneath. That's Mm -hmm. a really easy way to do it. Or you can just know and measure and, and, and memorize where your sit bones are anchored to. Yeah. That is a much better position because that will also change saddle height. Like a lot of people when they're measuring, for example, when they say, I need to get a dropper post, but I need to find out what dropper post length I need to get. Mm -hmm. You can use that bike nerds.io thing, Mm -hmm. but then you also have to know how tall your saddle is. Yeah. From the rails to the top. Exactly. And some of them have taller gaps or bigger gaps between the rails and the top of the saddle. Then you'll have more padding. Or when you sit, it might actually sag mm-hmm. and it might be designed to sag, which yep. I, I don't like that personally, but a lot of saddles do that. So you have to, You instead of measuring to a, a constantly moving target, measure to the precise target, which is where your sit bones are. Yeah. So my ch- suggested change is instead of tip of saddle two, the stem, for example, or anything else like that. Mm-hmm. Instead, measure anchor point to stem. And then when you're measuring your bottom from your bottom bracket, measure bottom bracket to anchor point. Yes. And that should be the important measurement that you should do rather than saying to top of saddle or anything else like that. Yeah. so I like my, it.
1: That's my tip. And that's, that's actually funny because I've been playing with my saddle on my gravel bike trying to figure out because I have the fabric scoop shallow saddle. Okay. Which does have a lower point in the middle where you're, you know, where the flare of the saddle starts and where your anchor yep. or where your sit bones should anchor. Um, and it also the the chassis of that saddle is designed to have a little bit of flex in it. Right. Um, and so that all of those things combined have made me really start playing with where my sit bone is. And I ended up finding out that my sit bones actually my saddle was too far back. Mm-hmm. So, what I was doing was rolling my pelvis forward to get my sit bone further to back to yeah. anchor it. It's and I found out huh? that I was losing power yeah. when pedaling efficiently.
0: It can, can cause some, it can cause a lot of discomfort in your lower back too yeah. when you do that.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I found that I had to move my saddle over a quarter inch forward. I think
0: that if they're, and I know that a lot of people are going to look at their bike now and think that I just need to move it forward. No, not always. But I, I I do think that that's probably the most common Mm -hmm. fit faux pas that I see amongst mountain bikers. Yeah. Well, I would say the most common is saddle height. Usually they're too low. Of course. Um, or too high problems one of the two but then the other thing that i see and i actually i would say this is more common actually than too low or too high too far back Mm -hmm. in most cases yeah that doesn't mean you should go slam your saddle forward but just because of the 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 seat angles on mountain bikes with full suspension design and everything else we tend to have to run our saddles pretty far forward to get into that the ideal position so yes yeah that that's mine steven good job that was actually a really good tip i like that because it wasn't a thing
1: it wasn't a thing it was a it was stuff.
0: A, yes. It was it a was stuff. stuff. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes. Um, go ahead. Mine I'm just going to piggyback um, on the trainer stuff. Mm. It, Kinetic. I love that Kinetic has trainer through axles for pretty much everything out there. It's pretty awesome, right? I'm I'm running their um, their through axle fine, their 12 by 142 fine thread on my Super X and it's amazing. I I love those guys.
0: They make such a good product. So they you know that the the history behind them is their um they're aeronautical engineers and yes. they manufacture parts for airplanes. Yeah, so that I mean this this is their bread and butter. Yeah, you know The like the bike trainer stuff is just like a cute little side gig. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're really good with hardware. That's a really good tip.
1: Yeah, I dig so, it. Just nice and simple. So go check those out. They have Boost. They have twelve by one forty two. They have your uh, ten and twelve by one thirty five. They've they've got everything covered for everything. Yep. So I, I don't think they don't make a trainer axle for anybody in particular. That's pretty awesome. Yeah.
0: The Way to do it. Yep. All right, everybody with that, Steven, uh, let's close this off. We'll talk to everybody by the end of this week. We'll have another episode. Yeah. And we're going to do quite a lot of Sedona prep in that one. We and, are. And, uh, so you'll hear more about that. Um, uh, that should be exciting stuff. We'll chat with y'all soon. Have a nice day.